1: Yeah. Hey. Hey, welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Uh, The AP poll is finally out to go with the coaches poll. Uh, We're going to talk about some surprises and maybe some omissions there. Um, What about Oklahoma's non-conference game? You know, Nebraska's coming to Norman, but they're not the Nebraska of the early 2000s. Rich has true or false questions. And then we're going to give you some breakout players that we're looking for, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball, for the Oklahoma Sooners. So let's start with the AP poll, Rich. Oklahoma coming in at number two, receiving six first-place votes. The first thing that comes to my mind when I look at this is that there's five teams that received first-place votes, at least one first-place vote. Ohio State got one. Oklahoma, Clemson each gets six. Georgia with three. Alabama takes the cake with 47 first-place votes. You compare that to the coaches poll when only two teams Got first place votes. That's being Oklahoma and again, Alabama, who got 63 first place votes in the coaches poll. Is this the most wide open preseason AP poll that you can remember in a while?
0: Man, talk about a question right out of the gate. Really catching me off guard, but I do think the answer has to be yes for me. When we look at the equation and we look at these top contenders, There's been some consistency, most specifically at the quarterback position. And when there wasn't that consistency at quarterback, you at least had a transfer who had some kind of experience and you knew what the product on the field was going to resemble. Maybe not exactly what it looked like, but what it was going to resemble. Gone is Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. Gone is Ohio State's starting quarterback, Georgia starting over themselves as well as is Alabama. And so when you see this split, knowing that Oklahoma is the only only team with a returning starting quarterback, I may have misspoken on Georgia and I will go rectify that situation here in a moment. But when you look at Oklahoma and you see that obviously one of the top, the top quarterbacks in the country, one of the most talented players, regardless of position on the field this season, regardless of conference, you're looking at a potential number one overall draft pick as everyone is speculating so early on in the season, even though Rattlers only played one season for the votes to be spread out so thinly. And I get where Alabama's at and I'm not disagreeing with Alabama, but everyone behind them collecting some first place votes it is a little bit surprising. It doesn't seem as though there is a, obviously there's not a consensus number one, but it doesn't seem like anybody can agree on where two, three, four, and five should truly fall.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, Alabama did pretty well with a first year quarterback last year in Mac Jones, Georgia fans are screaming at you right now over JT Daniels. Yes. They're returning quarterbacks and Ohio state fans are wondering why you didn't just say Justin Fields name. And you just had to say the Ohio State quarterback. I'm just telling you how all that – how that's going to shake out from that segment that you just threw out there. That's it, talk- Like I said,
0: Matt, you caught me by surprise. It, it <laughs> took me back a little bit.
1: Let's talk specifically about the Oklahoma Sooners. Number two in this poll, um, my first question to you about this is, were you surprised Oklahoma got that high in the AP poll?
0: I, I wasn't. I, I did think it was possible, but seeing all the preseason polls that were coming out before this one, it did seem like it was – Trending towards unlikely that Oklahoma would be number two. I did expect them to be in the, in the top four, though. I did expect them to have a shot at the college football playoff. And again, I said, I'm not mad about Alabama. They are the reigning national champions. Mm -hmm. And when you have a reigning national championship caliber team, regardless of how many players you lose, Matt, I get it. They had, was it six first round draft picks? They had eight within the first two rounds. I do know that. And they're losing basically all of their offensive production, but with Nick Saban in the equation and how they consistently lure in top recruits, you know that his teams are going to be ready to play. You know that they're going to compete and it doesn't matter what names on the back. The only thing that matters at Alabama is the name on the front. So I'm completely Mm -hmm. content With them taking that number one spot. So really it came down to Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, and potentially Texas A&M, who's returning Kellen Mond at quarterback as well. I know you're shaking your head no, and I know you as a listener are probably doing the exact same thing because for so long Texas A&M has been a pretender, but we're not going to ignore them in this preseason poll because of where they finished last season, Matt. You I mean, okay, fine, them. fine. I mean, look, they can't play with the top,
1: they can't play with the top teams in the SEC. They're a middle they are good of they the can't, back team. And, and that's the best be a great the question to level. ask
0: about some of these other teams as well. When it comes mm-hmm. to the SEC, here's, here's the point that I'm making, Matt is was I, was I surprised? Um, I deemed it as unlikely, but seeing Oklahoma at number two, I don't think is a surprise. What I do think, uh, maybe a little bit more of a surprise comes from. From these big 12 teams which we'll get to here in a second
1: yeah so let's jump in here pat ford or pat 40 depending on what part of the country you're from and how you say his last name he says something <clears throat> along the lines of that oklahoma needs to prove it on the field that they can bridge the gap he puts the sooners at number five on his ballot and has georgia in at number four where the bulldogs don't you think they're kind of in the same position as oklahoma when you're talking about in terms of you know, they're, they make, they're the bridesmaid, but not the bride. Now, you can't say if you're a Bulldogs fan, you're going to say, yeah, we got to play Alabama for the national championship in 2016, where Oklahoma's never made it past the semifinal round. But still, I mean, there, there's a difference between – my the way I look at this is there's a difference between being a national championship contender and being a national champion. And I think Oklahoma's proven it. They've proven it on the field over the last – half a decade and more that they can, they're the best team in the big 12. They've proven it on the, on the field that they belong in the semifinal round of the college football playoff. If you're going to, if you're going to take this line of thinking that Pat Forty's throwing out there is that you got to prove it by winning the national championship or at least qualifying for the national championship game, then that's a very limited number of teams that make his top four or top five. And I just, I just don't think that, not winning the national championship and not advancing to the championship game detracts from the dominance that we've seen out of Norman, Oklahoma for the past six plus years.
0: This is when we look at the Georgia Bulldogs, everybody wants to look at Kirby smart and some of the systems that he's implemented, more importantly, his ability to once again, attract talent, even though Alabama's not the team that he's coaching for Mm -hmm. anymore. When we look at Georgia though, Matt, the biggest hurdle for me has been how they fared against ranked opponents. And I'm not talking two seasons ago. I'm not talking three seasons ago. I want to know what have you done for me lately? And the best example, the best record that we can go to the, 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 the prime example here has to be the 2020 season. No, in which Georgia went, guess what? one and two against ranked opponents. Who did they beat? Number six, Cincinnati in their bowl game. And that was a three-point win. Mm -hmm. This is a Cincinnati team I get that had a lot going for them on the defensive side of the ball, but nobody thought that Cincinnati would come close to beating Georgia. And if I'm correct in, in my recollecting of this game here, Cincinnati led for a majority of that game, and Georgia won that one in the fourth quarter. 24 to 21. Needless to say, I'm looking at a Georgia team that wants to prop themselves up on the arm that is the SEC and the perception that the SEC has more specifically with voters in the AP poll and the media. But when it comes to getting, getting the job done, when it comes down to business, when it comes down to the product on the field, Georgia may be better than Texas. But right now, they're writing the same type of reputation into these rankings. Disagree yeah, that, or no,
1: agree? I, 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 I... I, th- I don't think I would put Georgia on the same trajectory as Texas. I think oh, Texas no, not sets all. itself up to fail every year. I saw some one of the Texas outlets touting five years in a row would be a preseason top 25 program. And my first thought was, well, where did you end on the last five years? Where have you ended the season? Because if you're a top 25 program preseason and you finish outside of the top 25 postseason, then it's been a bad season. I don't think I'm, I'm ready to put Georgia there, but I do think that Georgia does have a lot to answer for, but it so does Texas A&M. When, when mm-hmm. you, you talk about Texas A&M and, and you look at their record against the top half of the SEC, Georgia has that same problem, except for that Georgia does have a more recent history of success than Texas A&M does. I don't really have a problem Either way with what's being said, because it's, it, it's biased. You know, we, we know this, we see this, the bias in the, in the big 12 is with Texas. There's no reason Texas should be number 21. There's no reason. The, the there's when you look at all the criteria, look what they lost on the defensive side of the ball. Look what they lost on the offensive side of the ball. They've got one player in in Robinson, the running back that really is being touted as the preseason, all big 12 type guy I mean, okay, so name me another team with that type of returning, you know, pedigree and why they should be in the top 25. Because you could look at that the you could look at the others receiving votes category, and you can make a stronger argument for Oklahoma State. You could look at you can make a stronger argument for TCU, you can make a stronger argument for West Virginia, then you can make for Texas to be in the top 25. The point I'm making is the bias in in the Big 12 is always around Texas. The bias in the SEC is around that top half, that top, every year in the SEC, the top five teams, the top six teams, every, every year, somebody somewhere says this is a team that's a national title contender, when we all know it's not. The national title contenders out of the SEC, two or three. The national title contenders out of the Big 12, yeah, it's one. Some years it's been two. But you shouldn't get six, the the top five shouldn't have more than two SEC schools in it, in my opinion, preseason. It just shouldn't happen that way, but it does. I do find it interesting that when you look at the AP and the college, uh, the coaches polls, the top five, same cast of characters in both top fives, but just a little different order. The coaches poll has Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma at three, Ohio State and Georgia. And then in the AP, you just got Oklahoma and Clemson flipped. It's Alabama, Oklahoma, then Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia. So those are your five teams that people say four of these five teams should be in the, in the college football playoff. And that, that has Georgia on the outside looking in. I think that's where they belong, Rich. I, I think that's exactly where the Bulldogs are. They've got to prove it. You, you mentioned it, losing record against top 25 programs last year. And when you look at the teams that are returning, I guess everyone's returning, but you, you look at the teams that are in this top five and you look at who's returning for them, I'm looking at Iowa State number seven in the AP poll, number, nine, and number eight in the coaches poll, and I'm saying Iowa State has a better resume going into the season than Georgia does. I,
0: and I would wholeheartedly agree With that statement, while Georgia has a plethora of talent, you're right. This Charlie Collar, the Brees Hall, when we look at the skill position players at Iowa State, there's tons of experience and it's proven Mm -hmm. at the collegiate level. Whereas Georgia, again, an incredibly talented team and is very successful off of that talent, but needs to prove that they can consistently not just compete, but actually win against other ranked opponents. And really that's Georgia's shortcoming. It's why I think Georgia falls. If you wanted to say someone must prove it on the field and you're looking at Oklahoma, Georgia has to fall into that exact same category. Who would you put at number four? If you were Ford, I I don't know uh, because we all want to follow the trends And we don't want to look like complete fools by including or elevating a team to a status that not a single person on this continent believes that they are worthy of. So again, it it is kind of a catch-22. I feel like you're either putting Oklahoma or you're putting Georgia in that top four, but you're not putting both of them at the moment. That wealth is spread out. You've got one ACC team, one Big Ten team, one Big 12 team, and one team from the SEC. The Pac-12... It's just that outlier. It's going to be that conference that's looking in until they have a team that proves much like I think of Georgia at the moment proves that they're ready to compete at that level. It just hasn't happened for me at this point in time. And Oregon is the closest one to doing that. In my opinion, Matt, I wanted to talk about some, some surprises here or maybe some omissions because you've already thrown out one of the names that I was a little bit surprised by a, a team that didn't make an appearance in this AP poll, which is Oklahoma state and whether they deserve to be there or whether they don't deserve to be in the top 25 is very debatable. I get what transpired at the university. I know the comments that were made. I know how the players responded. I also saw and witnessed firsthand how a lot of those players quit towards the end of the season when there was no longer anything to play for it. It speaks volumes for the chemical makeup. Of this program. I don't know if that's something that's trickling down from the leadership or if that was something that the seniors started and then trickled down to some of these underclassmen on this roster and in that locker room, but there's clearly a problem there. What I do know about this Oklahoma state team though, is that they continuously churn out receivers who can make any team and any defense pay at any moment. Their biggest, biggest issue has been their offensive line. And if they can sort that out, I think they're very easily a top 25 team. I think they should have been included in this AP poll, even if, even if it was at number 25, because again, you, you look at the, the trends that are happening and you don't want to be this voice that doesn't doesn't necessarily agree and takes a completely different approach and then looks like a fool at the end of the day, specifically when it comes to these polls, I'm not talking about any other part of life. I'm specifically referencing polls here. And so again, I see if there's that trend, then people are going to follow it. But at the end of the day, I felt as though Oklahoma State deserved to be in there and was omitted unlawfully.
1: Unlawfully, huh? Yeah. yeah, I I don't know what,
0: what else. I don't know what other word to
1: throw in there. I think i would put Oklahoma unjustly,
0: State unjustly I, I, unjustly
1: that's probably a better word yeah. um i think i would definitely put oklahoma state in there I, i'm looking at like uh, louisiana arizona state i think arizona state's most likely the culprit here that i would not include in the top 25 especially when you consider everything that's going on with that coaching staff and the, and the turmoil that the program is having but you're absolutely right when you look at oklahoma state this, this team was plagued by two things last year. They, they were plagued by, by poor leadership and they were plagued by poor vision. The, the poor leadership shows you that, you know, you saw a lot of quit in this team and the Bedlam game. You saw Chuba Hubbard never really fully committed to the season. He wanted to come back. He wanted to play. He wanted to be a Heisman candidate. But that, I mean, he just was never 100% invested. Chuba Hubbard was more interested in preserving his body for the NFL than he was for really giving 110% to this program and putting it all out on the field. I don't think you can look at a single game last year where Chuba Hubbard can say, or you can say as a fan, Chuba Hubbard put 110% out on the field. you saw them quit in the Big 12 championship. Once that Big 12 championship, uh, sorry, and you saw them quit in the Bedlam game, because once they saw the Big 12 championship aspirations gone, this team just kind of just, they they plateaued. Um, But I will say this, they won their bowl game, and they looked pretty decent in winning the bowl game. Also... This is gonna be a really good defensive team for Mike Gundy. It's gonna be one of the best defensive teams he's had in a long time. You're right, there's questions. Uh, on the offensive line there's questions at the receiver position there's questions at the quarterback you know can can Spencer Sanders stay healthy a full season we've not seen that in his two years as a starter but defensively they're very solid I would put definitely have no problems putting them in the top 25 over like in Arizona State but
0: we're I, go ahead No, no, no. Finish your statement because I have a question for you.
1: Okay, well, I was going to say the teams that are omitted, probably Oklahoma State is my biggest one there. But also I look at a team like Liberty and I know I know Liberty, a small stool. But you look at the season that they had last year and I just I feel like they deserve to be at least start uh, in the top 25. Uh, Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, they probably have an argument. Um, I I don't know that there's anybody else out there that I could just really go to bat for at this moment of the teams that aren't in the top 25. And I guess my strongest case is for sure for Oklahoma State. You can make a case for TCU with Zach Evans at the running back position and the way that, um, you know, that they they coach defense down there in Fort Worth. I think you can make an argument for TCU, but definitely Ole Miss – and Oklahoma state, probably the two that have the biggest arguments with Oklahoma state at the biggest.
0: Well, you're not wrong. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I mean, you know, considering they're, they're the top two, the first two out in that others, others receiving votes category. But Matt, the one question that I want to ask here is I can't remember a time here recently at least, that we had some of the power, not the power five, but the group of five, excuse me, group of five conferences were so well represented. And I mm-hmm. get that there's a lot of teams to choose from. But when you see three in the top 25, does that come off as a bit surprising to you?
1: No. And the reason why is because it's three really good teams. And I look at, for example, Cincinnati at number eight. Mm-hmm. This is a team that they won their conference last year. They they, they had a chance. to to really make a a strong case to get included in a college football playoff if things were shaking out just a little bit differently for them. Now, here's what's interesting about Cincinnati. In the first four games of the season, games three and games four, they're going to play on the road at Indiana, on the road at Notre Dame. Indiana's number 17. Notre Dame's number nine. If Cincinnati loses those games, yeah, they're out of the top 25, out of this conversation of being a potential group of five to to break into the playoff. However, if they win both of those games, you win on the road at Indiana, you win on the road in South Bend, then the rest of their schedule, this is a group that they're probably their toughest game. You can make an argument would be at Navy in October or at South Florida in November, they could run the table. And, and if they win those two games and run the table, this could be the year when you look at how everything's is kinda, there's a lot of disparity at the beginning of the season, this could be the year Cincinnati breaks through with the group of five getting into the playoff. I think they have the absolute best opportunity to do that. When you look at the other group of five schools that are involved, look, there's a difference between being a top 25 program and a a national contender. And, you know, Coastal Carolina, I definitely have no problem them being top 25 program. Louisiana, maybe, maybe, maybe a French team. Those teams
0: finished fourteen and fifteen in the rankings last year.
1: No, I get it. I, I I get what you're saying, but I'm just saying if you're when you're making the argument, it gets once you get past Cincinnati at number eight. I feel like the arguments become a little, little more weaker in mm-hmm. terms of how uh, of, of their merit, so to speak. Cincinnati is a real player in this. Now they've got to prove it through the first four weeks of the season, but they're a real contender if they get to that first four weeks unscathed. I don't think you can say Coastal Carolina is a real contender. I don't think you can say Louisiana is a real contender like you can on the same course as Cincinnati. I I promise you, Indiana and certainly Notre Dame have those those games circled on their schedule in the first month of the season because they see those as really, really big games for themselves as well, not just. For Cincinnati, by the way, Cincinnati ranked ahead of both Notre Dame and Indiana, which is probably a bigger reason why they're circled on those schedules.
0: And one other surprise that I was going to throw out at you, I am fully aware of Notre Dame and the agreement that they have for the next 15 years that stands with the ACC, which is that they will play five regular season games against an ACC Opponent. However, when you go to apnews.com and you see the conference that's listed next to not only the team, but also the rank, you can drop down to number nine, where you see Notre Dame is listed as in the ACC. Does that surprise you at all? Or is that foretelling of, of what may transpire this year for an independent school like Notre Dame? Who's looking to lock themselves in with a full slate of games, much like they did last year.
1: Yeah, don't forget Notre Dame played in the ACC last year as a as a participant. Mm-hmm. They they made it to the ACC championship game, and that's probably just the template left over from last season. I I think before this fifteen year agreement ends, Notre Dame will be a member of the ACC conference. They seem to align. A little bit better there than they do in the Pac-10, excuse me, the Big Ten, where a lot of people feel like they academically, they line up with the Big Ten. Athletically, they line up a little bit more with the ACC. I think you go if we follow the dollars and the dollars are going to lead them to the ACC. Um, I think that that's all that's there in that. But uh, yeah, Notre Dame, definitely. I think they are regretting not Being ahead of this movement and getting into a conference, when you look at like NBC is now moving some of their games to their app as opposed to being actually broadcast on NBC, Um, their their TV contract's not going to hold water to these new mega TV contracts that we're going to see come first from the SEC after Oklahoma and Texas jump in there. And then the ACC is going to, I think the ACC is going to be second in line to the SEC to really try to expand and, and capitalize uh, on new, a new TV contract and also how they can get their players marketed to, to really take advantage of the LOI. So no. NIL. I'm yeah. NIL. I think, yeah. I think I said LOI last week as well, but mm-hmm. um, name, image and likeness. Um, but um but but yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's anything more to that than that just being a leftover template.
0: Okay. heard it here first. <laughs> well man, we will see. We will see. I man, I'm I'm gonna say this, um, kind of to close this out as I don't think it means anything for Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame is in a position where they want to join the ACC with football no, I, granted. I, I there are others. There are other sports are there, but here's what I look at with Notre Dame is that if they were to lock themselves in a conference, the PAC 12, and I know Notre Dame does not care about the PAC 12, but if they were to join the ACC, I think it eliminates the, their ability to schedule some of these major rivalries that they have with those, with those teams that are on the West coast. You're looking at Stanford. You're looking at USC. They're not going to be able to play them every single year. That's dollar signs, especially to an independent. And I'm saying that the ACC, as it stands right now, the ACC has no leverage over Notre Dame to quote unquote, entice them to join the conference as a full participant. Will that change in the coming years? Will that change by 2025? I can't predict the future. So it's a possibility. I just don't see it right now. And the way that the current structure is for these independents, whether that's a BYU or a Notre Dame, I think they're going to stay independent for the foreseeable future, unless some way, somehow, the Pac 12 can swallow up BYU um, and entice BYU to join them and the ACC with Notre Dame, same way.
1: Well, BYU definitely makes more. BYU definitely makes more sense to the Pac-12 for the same reasons I said. Uh, Notre Dame makes more sense to the ACC. I will tell you this: I strongly disagree with you because it's all about the dollars, and we've seen we've seen rivalries go to the wayside to follow dollars. You see that with mm-hmm. Texas and Texas A&M. You saw Oklahoma, Oklahoma Nebraska. and Nebraska. And so you you know when when compared to survival and thriving financially, you know. Bedlam, Bedlam was a second issue to Oklahoma in this move to the SEC. Hey, it, they're, they're saying Oklahoma State, if you still want to play us, play us. But, you know, whatever, we're going to go follow the money. And I think Notre Dame would do the same thing with USC. They do the same thing with Stanford because it's all about – it's not just about survivability, Rich. It's about thriving. And you can't thrive the, – the way this thing is moving – You can't thrive as an independent anymore. Notre Dame was the first to sign that contract. The first school, they signed that big television contract with NBC. NBC will not be able to match what the SEC is going to get. They're not going to be able to match what the ACC is going to get. Notre Dame knows that. And so they're going to move to a conference based on dollars alone.
0: The ACC knows that as well, Matt, which is why that, that agreement that they have, basically says Notre Dame can't join any other conference if they wanted to join a conference it would have to be the ACC
1: yeah and the questions I, like, asked yeah. about it and like I said I think it's going to happen it's to it's going to happen pretty quick and once, once Oklahoma and Texas move that, make the jump to the SEC whenever it is before 2025 when they make that move it's going to blow this whole thing up you're already seeing conferences yeah, begin to make power plays and I, the ACC is get... leading the leading their way with that
0: I get what you're saying, but I'm looking at the Pac-12 and saying there's no way that they're just going to give up eyeballs from a Notre Dame game. There, there is Pac-12 money. Doesn't for,
1: have the Pac-12 doesn't have any say in it.
0: But there's money that they're going to try to throw into the hat. No, to entice Notre Dame to stay independent.
1: They're, but there's not going to be. We'll see. They're not going we'll to touch what Notre. That's what I'm saying. You're not going to be able to touch what Notre Dame can make as a member of the ACC. The, and Notre Dame got a taste of that in 2020, and it's just going to be like you know, even more. It's like when a shark bites a human. Oh, that tastes good. I'm going to go back for more and more and more. That's why they hunt the shark. Look, Notre Dame, they've got they've they got a taste of it. They know what they're making now. They know what they potentially can make. And it doesn't matter. The Pac-12 has no say in this at all. That's why the Pac-12 is being strategical about how they're trying to realign themselves. And they put a pause On Oklahoma State and TCU and Texas Tech. And hey, we're weighing all of our options right now, but the Pac 12 has zero leverage over Notre Dame. Hey, let's talk, let's go back to the schedule, uh, the top 25, and let's make it more specific for Oklahoma. The way it is right now, the Sooners have two top 25 teams on their schedule for 2021. You got number 21 Texas, October 9th. You've got number seven Iowa State. On November 20th. No, no other preseason ranked team right now is on Oklahoma's schedule. And you look at their non-conference schedule, Tulane at Tulane, Western Carolina, Nebraska. Do you feel like there's any chance that this schedule sets up to hurt Oklahoma as opposed to help Oklahoma uh, in terms of making the the fall, the, the playoffs this fall?
0: Yes, and no. Can I answer that with with (laughs) both of them? Very political
1: answer there, brother. Here's the
0: reality of the situation for me is that Oklahoma is a program that is extremely highly thought of this year, and it's because of resurgence on the defensive side of the ball. This is the first time since the, the 2000s, early 2000s, mid 2000s, that I can remember having a defense that was worthy of competing for a national championship. Otherwise it's always been a hindrance. It's always been the one thing that has held Oklahoma back from being at the top of the podium, if you will, when, when, uh, January comes to a close. When we look at this team, Matt, they've always had it on offense and nothing's changed Mm -hmm. since Bob Stoops has stepped down and Lincoln Riley has taken over. It's a team that continuously reloads and I would say has even stepped up the level of talent on the offensive side of the ball during that transition. Now with Alex Grinch at the helm, again, this is a defense that's starting to command some attention and starting to gain some respect. And we're seeing that just in how well Oklahoma has been able to recruit on that side of the ball. Sure, Oklahoma is losing battles to teams like Alabama, two teams like Georgia, two teams like Ohio State at certain positions. But while they lose some, they also win others. And it's easy for us to discredit those wins because of what's transpired more specifically at the running back position and deeming it such a big issue, Matt, we can talk about the safety. We can talk about the five-star in-state recruits who choose to go out of state for their collegiate careers and hopefully have an impact to springboard them into the NFL. But at the end of the day, it's easy to put a lot of weight on what's happening negatively versus what's happening positively for the program. And so when we wipe that out, what I see is Again, this perception of a rise of an Oklahoma team where people are starting to say that this team could turn into a dynasty. And let's remember that that was happening while Oklahoma is still playing in the Big 12, not the SEC. It's while they're playing in the Big 12. That's the caliber of talent that they're putting, it's the product that they're putting on the field. It's the schematics that they're using and being on the cutting edge of what they're doing offensively, as well as defensively and looking for. And if they're not finding they're creating mismatches, that's what Lincoln Riley's been so good at. And I believe that's what Alex Grinch is attempting to do as well. But we know again, that the the talent level has slowly and steadily increased under the direction of these two. So I say, no, I don't think that the scheduling is going to hurt them because of that national perception, but I could also see if it comes down to a tiebreaker and you're looking at strength of schedule as being that deciding factor, Oklahoma doesn't have a marquee non-conference matchup. And while you want, I feel like Matt, you may fall into this category while you want Nebraska to be that marquee name. They just aren't these days. Well, they're, they're not, not a
1: marquee. They're, they're a marquee name, but they're not a marquee opponent this season.
0: Correct. Correct. And that's where I think Oklahoma could be hindranced if and only if we see them have a repeat performance of last year where they lose one. I think they're out for sure if they lose two, but if they lose one mm-hmm. game here, Oklahoma still has a chance of making that college football playoff. It's yeah. just iffy.
1: Yeah, I've, I've got three quick thoughts on this. The first thought is this. The Big 12 has two of the top eight teams in the nation going into the season. What this means is for all the people out there saying the Big 12 Conference is dead, and that's why Oklahoma's moving to the SEC, this totally debunks that. Oklahoma's moving to the SEC for money, not because the conference is dead. The conference is still very much a player on the national scene. The second thought is Oklahoma is the number two team in the nation. Being the number two team in the nation, you're in the college football playoff if you win out. And that should be the goal. If you're Oklahoma, that should be the goal every year. Now, we know it's not easy because the last time we saw Oklahoma win out throughout a season was 2000 when they won the national championship. That's what they're going to have to do again this year. The third thought, though, is this. Uh, Two losses eliminates you. The only way the strength of schedule comes into play is, like you said, if Oklahoma loses a game, if they lose at Kansas State, if they lose Bedlam, if they lose against Texas. I think it's more of a matter of who you lose to than Mm -hmm. when you lose because you look at last year, Oklahoma got a lot of credit for coming back to beat Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game. They kind of got redemption. Now, you never got the chance to get redemption for the Kansas State loss, but winning the big 12 championship kind of redeemed everything for the Sooners in 2020. So if you're going to lose a game, you at least want to lose to a team that you think you're going to get to play again in the conference championship game. And we've seen that scenario play over and again throughout the sec, throughout the, the, the big 10, throughout the PAC 12, you know, when ACC teams get, they get that shot at redemption and they're on the playoff bubble. It usually goes their way when they win that conference championship game. But if Oklahoma, the hands-down favorite to win the conference championship, if they run the table, they'll be in the college football playoff. It doesn't matter what their schedule is like. So that those are my three quick thoughts on that. You good with that? All right, so yeah. we're going yeah. to move on to True or False this week. Richard's asking the questions, and um, we'll see how this plays out. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
0: Well, Matt, as you know, we are putting you in the hot seat. I mean, you did just allude to it. And I apparently use all these off-the-wall questions. So I tried to be a little more tame this week for you, okay? Tried to be a little more tame as we are 19 days from kickout kick out kick off at the time of recording this podcast, man, I just wanted to jump in and and kind of focus in on what's going to transpire this season and have you make a few predictions through this true or false segment. So the first question that I've really got for you is what we know about last season was that Oklahoma struggled in running the ball. And that was, I, I don't know how much of it was the offensive line versus how much of it was inexperience in the backfield, because obviously, with your best running back being suspended, you have to put somebody out there. And with your other, your what would have been your number one option opting out of the season. Still, you have to put somebody out there to carry the ball and to make defenses respect the running game while allowing your quarterback to throw it. So this year, Matt completely different scenario even though there's some losses on the offensive line, transfers should be able to shore up any of those roles that there are questions about. And now Oklahoma has two high-quality running backs, two high-quality options in the backfield. But the true or false segment of this question is this. By season's end, Kennedy Brooks will be this team's leading rusher.
1: Man, I'm going to go false because I I think Eric Gray is going to be the starting running back. Um, I I think uh, Kennedy Brooks is going to be A a very valuable part of this offense I think he's going to have the chance to have a third 1000 yard season but I just don't after what I've seen from Eric Gray in the spring after what I'm reading from about Eric Gray right now in fall camp. I, I think he's the best running back on this team. I think Marcus Major also is, um, is way better uh, than what he was a year ago. And when you, you look back to a year ago, Oklahoma started the season with their number three running back. You're, you're not, your top two options were not available. And so T.J. Pledger was number three. Seth McGowan would have been number four. And so they were in a tough spot through those first five games of the season last year you already said they're not in that same spot this year you've got two all-american caliber guys that are going to uh share the field and i think it's going to be spectacular but man i just i gotta i gotta go with eric gray at this point i I think kennedy brooks by all means is a again a integral part of this offense but if you're making me put money on the line right now who leads this team in rushing uh, i gotta go with eric gray
0: The one, the one thing about Eric Gray that I thought was more significant and how they would use him was his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. I I get that that makes him a dangerous, dangerous player. And I wouldn't be surprised to see both of those players on the field at the same time, maybe putting Eric Gray in motion or having him line up in the slot. I could see him being used in various different situations just to get, to get these defenses on their heels Mm -hmm. and ultimately make them. Again, we talk about creating mismatches, make them make the mistake. So when it comes to Eric Gray, I felt as though he would be used a little bit more in those types of scenarios that he would be be the, the pass catcher. Whereas Kennedy Brooks is just going to be your ball carrier more often than not. But again, we'll see a heavy dose of both of them. I think they both could eclipse the thousand yard mark this year, especially knowing what you have in the backfield versus the years that Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts We're out there running the ball and eclipsing the thousand yard mark as a rusher and passer. Needless to say, Matt, um, this is going to be a good season for Oklahoma running backs without a doubt, regardless of who starts at what position on this offensive line. And I could very easily see them carrying this team through the first three games so that Oklahoma, excuse me, Oklahoma doesn't have to show off too much of their playbook before they get into conference play. Second, true or false question. I wanted to stay on this
1: real fast before you get to the second question. Let me, let me just say this this 2021 is going to be the closest Oklahoma has looked to Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon since they had Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. All
0: right. Number two. I, 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 like I said, I wanted to continue to focus in on skill position, continue to focus in on the offense, but at the same time, make those types of predictions. And when we look at the receiving game, I know a lot of people are saying, who can, who could have a breakout year? And it's immediately Mario Williams, largely because of what Marvin Mims did last season. Mm -hmm. I do expect them both to be contributors, but with a lot of the focus being placed on a guy like a Marvin Mims, as well as knowing what's there in terms of surrounding talent and the addition of Mario Williams, I feel as though, and, and maybe this isn't the case, but this is this is my interpretation of what I've been reading and what I've been hearing and what I've been seeing is that Mike Woods is often left out of this conversation. True or false. Again, 19 days out, Mike Woods is being overlooked and will be more productive than a guy like a Marvin Mims or a Mario Williams.
1: I think, (sighs) Can I pull a Richard here and say true-false mm-hmm. to this? Yeah, because it's,
0: I mean, I did ask I, two questions yeah, in there.
1: I, I think he can be more productive, definitely, than Amario Williams. Um, uh, Mar- Marvin Mims thats yet to be determined. He, here's the thing. It's it's going to be about the amount of time these guys get on the field. And we've talked about this. Other podcasts have talked about it. The, the guys who break down football on television have talked about it. For Lincoln Raleigh, it's all about capitalizing the mismatch. Who does he want to be that mismatched guy? And if they're, if you're the opposing defense, you don't have much to say about that because the guys that are immediately, when they step on the field, the guys that are immediately going to command attention from opposing defenses are going to be Marvin Mims, Jaden Hazelwood, and Austin Stogner. You cannot double team more than one of those guys. So that means a guy like Mike Woods, a guy like Mario Williams, is going to be that mismatched guy, and they're going to have the big play potential. But that said, Mike Woods also has the body and the experience to be a possession receiver, not just a home run type receiver. And so I think more throws are going to come the way of Mike, uh, of Mike Woods than they are going to be. T- towards Mario Williams. And that's that's not to cap the talent or the potential of Marvin. I can't say names. That's not gonna tap the, the talent or the potential of Mario Williams. The dude's gonna be a star, but he is a true freshman. And Mike mm-hmm. Woods is a seasoned veteran. And I think that's gonna win out in this case. That when we go back to Marvin Mims versus Mike Woods, Marvin Mims has the pedigree we all saw it last year Again, he's probably going to be the guy who draws the double team more than anybody else. And so I think that, again, not to cap talent and potential, just to, to cap opportunity if you' his job in 2021 may be just to be the guy who occupies the double team and let, and let whoever else win the one-on-one battles. And so that's going to lead guys like Austin Stogner, guys like um, Theo Weiss, guys like Mike Woods, who I think are going to be your top four options. That's going to leave them opportunity to win one-on-one battles. And whoever does that more consistently is going to lead this team in receiving yards.
0: I'm going to flip sides of the ball for you here. Go defensively with two of these of the five true or false statements that we're making here. I know it's the afternoon when we're recording, but may very well be the evening or the morning when you as the listener. Are listening to these. So just insert whatever appropriate time works for you when I make that kind of a statement. Matt, on the defensive side of the ball, um, I, I feel like Oklahoma pretty much has it going on. So when we look at the defense as a whole, true or false, this is the first time in years that there are no major concerns.
1: I think that's false because I think there still are concerns. I think it, there's pretty major concerns until you see these, these new cornerbacks tested. You know, we, we talked about last week, losing Trey Brown, losing Trey Norwood, losing Brendy Radley-Hiles. That that's a big loss because those were some, especially Norwood and Trey Brown, those were some playmakers at the cornerback positions and why you've got guys who are talented, bigger body guys. The, the, the truth is, we haven't seen the full potential of Woody Washington. We certainly haven't seen the full potential of DJ Grant. Billy Bowman's a true freshman. And so I, I think, is this defense in good position going into the season? Absolutely. And something that you and I have talked about, the, one of the reasons they're in such good position is because of the front seven. And the better your front seven is, the, the, the less you need from your back end. The worse your front seven is, the more you need from your back end. And so Oklahoma has the advantage here because their front seven led by Perry and Winfrey is going to be so dominant, but still there are question marks. And I consider the cornerback position to be a pretty solid question mark until we see them really go out and function without that upper-class leadership of Trey Brown, of Trey Norwood, and without the guy who's been the quarterback of this defense, Brendan Redley-Hiles. So I think this is false, because to me, that's a pretty dang big question mark.
0: So are you just going to go ahead and discredit the interceptions and in the bowl game for Oklahoma from these these young corners?
1: No, I'm not going to discredit anything. I said the, the talent's <laughs> there. I mean, we haven't seen them do it for a full oh, season. It,
0: it was because the tight end wasn't available, right?
1: No, listen. I, I no one's had more fun about that whole Florida <laughs> losing the receivers thing than me, but there is truth to that. When you lose that chemistry with your receiver, I, I think I think the receivers being gone certainly played more into the poor performance of Kyle Trask than it did by the defense. The defense is without excuse for Florida, but I think Kyle Trask could legitimately hang his helmet on the fact that he lost his top targets.
0: You mentioned a guy like Brendan Radley-Hiles who we've said – love him or hate him. I get that there's no middle ground, but there's no denying that he was the vocal leader. He was the emotional leader of this team, which I think those emotional tendencies often led him to the mistakes that we Mm -hmm. saw on the field. You do have to replace that. You're not just replacing a body on the field. You're not just replacing someone who, who can stand in space. You are you called him the quarterback of the defense and you're being forced to replace that this year as he's transferred out. When we look at the potential candidates to do that, Matt, true or false, Pat fields is the most ready to step into that role.
1: No, I, I'm going to say true on this one. And, and the, here's the thing. They had someone brother bookie was, on campus this year or not, they were gonna to have to replace this position. The reason that Brendan Riley-Hiles is playing in Washington as opposed to Oklahoma is that he was gonna lose his job. The talent level, when he came on campus, there was such a gap in talent level from him to the next guy. And over, over three years, we saw that talent level really kind of close up to where he knew the pressure was on and he knew he was most likely gonna not just fight for a job, but he was gonna probably lose that job. And that's why he's gone. So they were going to have to replace this position anyway, as far as this leadership position. And I love Pat Fields. I love his experience. I love his enthusiasm. I love the fact that he's a guy who talks, but also backs up most of the time, backs up what he says with his play on the field. And we're going to get into a uh, kind of a segment here at the very end where we talk about guys that are really going to break out this season. I want you to tell you right now, Pat Fields is one of those guys for me on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think you've nailed this one on the head, and I'm, I'm going to stay true on that.
0: I, I'm surprised that you weren't going to throw a, a DTL as a as a candidate, as a potential Player who could step into that role. It's it's why I picked Pat Fields because I thought you. Oh, you thought the you bring out of it. No, I mean I did. I, 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 I can go
1: with DTL if you want. No, 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 to, no, it's it's all but good. I think I still think I, I love DTL and and for me. Uh, his crowning moment so far of his Sooner career is kind of joking aside, but his his crowning moment is when he tried to hand the football to the uh, Texas kid in, in the end zone after uh, during last year's Red River rivalry. And then the, when the kid reaches out for it, Pat Field or DTL pulls it back. I mean, that that you you love that type <laughs> of banter. You love that type of just, you know, bravado from these guys. <laughs> but still, I think Pat Fields is the man uh, to lead this defense. All right, like, man. Last,
0: last one here for you this straight up true or false question true or false this is Oklahoma's best chance at winning a national championship since 2008 this team
1: Ooh, um man since I mean 2016 was pretty good Um, I just
0: didn't have a defense
1: well that's true um I don't man that's Such a great question, because 2008, you know, Kevin Wilson, Sam Bradford, record-setting offense, Um, 2016, that offense was humming with Baker Mayfield, but you're right, the defense is just abysmal. I think this year, definitely, defense is better than 2016. Are they as good as 2008? I'm going to say true, um, because (laughs) I I mean, look, I I don't know how good this offense is going to be, But you look at Lincoln Riley's track record; they're going to be pretty good, especially with a returning starting quarterback. Um, You got the strength of your offense is going to be the offensive line. You've got all-American type caliber guys at running back. You you got Receivers. receivers. You got an endless number of receivers. So you got to just trust that this offense is going to be good. This will be the best defense Lincoln Riley's had. So that supersedes 2016. So yeah, I think you got you got to go back to 2008. Don't forget though. Don't forget, 2009 would have been set up for another championship run. But you lose Jermaine Gresham in the preseason before they even take the field. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And then you lose Sam Bradford uh, in that season open against BYU. But that 2009 defense, that was Ron L. Lewis, you know, Travis Lewis. That defense was nasty as well. So 2009, going into that BYU game, Oklahoma was, was one of the top teams in the nation and they just got sidetracked by losing sam bradford mm-hmm. so still i'm gonna say true to your question but you know it is what it is okay breakout players and offense and defense coming up plus we'll give you a kind of a look through the season uh this is the center nation podcast rich we're gonna start on the offensive side of the ball kind of given our our breakout players and um I mean, I'll let you go first. I, I've got a couple of names that immediately come to mind. But Shoot, I'm, I'm I was just you...
0: going with one.
1: Okay, I've got two. But you you may you may equal that out with whoever you throw out here. So let's see who your guy is.
0: Um, on the offensive side of the ball, Matt, I, I feel like we've talked about this individual as this being really a put-up or shut-up type here that this individual would either have a big season or they would look at transferring because – the depth chart is going to catch up to you. It is going to pass you by, especially when there's been health concerns. And that's Jaden Hazelwood Mm -hmm. for me. When I look at a guy who is as physically gifted as he is to play that position, as knowledgeable and talented as he is to play that position, it's a very easy mark to say he's going to have a successful season, but a lot is hinging upon that. I've already Mm -hmm. mentioned some of the issues that he's had, but when he's been healthy, you can see the flashes. You can see the signs, a guy who is a 50 50 ball type player and will come down with it. Yeah. He just has every single attribute that you want in a receiver. He just hasn't been able to utilize those at this point. And when we're looking at Oklahoma and we're looking at this receiver room and we're looking at how talented it is, excuse me. I think the competition is going to ratchet up the level of play on the field on Saturdays for this group. And I think Jaden Hazelwood is going to be one of the biggest benefactors of that. So I do expect him to have a big season. I do expect him to be a major contributor each and every single down, whether he gets the ball or not.
1: Yeah, Jaden Hazelwood, definitely one of my two. And that's why I had two, because I thought there was a chance that we um... –
0: Spencer Rattler's your other one?
1: No, no. I mean, that's too obvious. And that's, (laughs) can you really say the guy, I mean, he's a preseason favorite to win the Heisman trophy. I don't really think you can say he's going to have a breakout season. I think he's already broke out. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, So my other guy, it has to be Eric Gray because I mean, Oklahoma absolutely needs Eric Gray to be everything that the, that, that they want him to be. Otherwise you're down to a one-shirt pony at the running back position with all due respect to Marcus major, Eric Gray has to be impactful on this field this season and so he's the guy that's I I already said I think he's going to be the leading running the leading rusher for this team you talked about what he can do as a receiver that's what makes him unique because a safety has to keep an eye on him as well as a linebacker when he's in the backfield there's so much that that Spencer Rattler is going to be able to do play action with this kid um, and so I think I think he becomes the other obvious choice outside of Jason Hazelwood. Jaden Hazelwood, I think, is going to be a star. I think we're going to see every bit of the type of player that he, that earned him a five-star recruit ranking coming out of high school. And uh, he's just had a bad lot of it. You know, he, he was a true freshman. He did decent. He suffered the knee injury. He tried to come back. He didn't go with the team to the Cotton Bowl so he could kind of mentally regather himself by all accounts, he's done that. And then, then some, and uh, yeah, that 50 50 ball type thing that you mentioned is going to make him huge in this offense. And I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a lot of trust with him. So, um, so yeah, so those, those are my two guys. I'm going to let you go first again on the defense. No, no, side, no. Though.
0: Okay. I'm teasing. Well, yeah.
1: It, it was the reason why is because if I have two on the defensive side of the ball as mm-hmm. well. And so I'm, I'm trying just to, to eliminate us saying the same thing. So I came up with two. And so I want to let you go first, just in case we have one of the same guys.
0: I think Oklahoma on the defensive line is going to be one of the best teams in the country, not just the conference in the country. And we look at them setting the tone for the remainder of this group. We look at them Taking a lot of the pressure off of these younger guys in the secondary, specifically those corner positions where we're looking at a Woody Washington, a DJ Graham, and maybe some others to mm-hmm. insert them their names into that rotation. And so what it really comes down to for me, um, I could easily pick a, a cornerback, Matt, like a DJ Graham and say they're going to have a breakout year. Um, because of the potential that exists in knowing that there will be a new starter. But I'm gonna go a completely different direction and start looking at the linebackers. One, I think we saw a breakout season from a guy like Brian Azamoa, even though it was a quiet yeah. breakout year for him. You look at an individual who led the team in tackles as a sophomore, and then you look at the names that were surrounding him at the linebacker position where everybody expected Deshaun White to really lead the charge. So I'm looking at a guy like David Guaybu, who's a little bit further down Mm. the list in terms of stats, but a guy who made his name known, recorded an interception, it seems as though he's finally figuring things out. And that happened in the latter half of the season, which is an extremely scary thing. For offenses, opposing offenses heading into this 2021 season, I think physically gifted once again for that position seems to be a guy who can drop back into coverage and not be a major liability like some of these other linebackers. So a very versatile player as well. And as he gets more comfortable in that role role and Alex Grinch begins to ask more of him, I think we see those numbers skyrocket and I I could very easily see him being the gem of this linebacking crew.
1: Yeah, you think of David Agwebu and you think of the, the Bedlam interception, you the, the block punt against Texas. That, that's a good pick. I, I didn't have either. Um, neither one of my guys was was David Agwebu. I already mentioned <laughs> one in Pat Fields, and, and I've already talked about him earlier uh, in the true or false segment. So I'm just going to throw Pat Fields out as one. And my other guy, I'm stanking I'm stinking. I'm sticking with the defensive line. I'm going Jalen Redmond guy who set out the 2020 season yeah, uh, for really health concerns there, and I think when you look at what Oklahoma has with Perry and Winfrey in the middle that, de- yeah in the middle of that defensive line uh this is going to set up very very well for a guy with Jalen Redmond's pass rushing ability just to have a phenomenal season and so mm-hmm. Redmond is 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 the, my is my guy I'm going to go with here as well so yeah that's that's me that's I, I so I've got uh Uh, Pat Fields and Jalen Redmond. I'm sorry I did two instead of one, but like I said, I was trying to avoid us having the same guys and just go, yeah, me too. Um, you look at, let's, let's talk about the final thing here, Rich. Let's talk about Oklahoma's 2021 schedule. They start the season at Tulane on September 4th. They end the season at Oklahoma State on November 27th. Book in, book in between those two games or 10 other opportunities for Oklahoma to either win or lose. When you look at this schedule, let's break it down like this. Which home game has you most concerned for Oklahoma? And you can, Texas counts as a home game this season, so you can throw that one in there if you'd like to, but When you look at the home opponents, Western Carolina, Nebraska, West Virginia, again, we talked about Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, and Iowa State. Which game at home gives you most pause?
0: I I think it's very easy to select Iowa State. And it's because of what they bring. It's what they're bringing to the table, more specifically offensively, more specifically in the passing game. We really want to dive deep into this one. And then to counteract that, if you start – Hedging your bets towards the receivers, towards the air raid that this team is going to bring, then of course, Brees Hall is going to run wild on you. So it is a three, a three-headed monster there. I know that Iowa State usually brings in some big receivers. We're not talking just tight end position, we're talking about receivers that have given Oklahoma absolute fits in the secondary. How will this Oklahoma team adapt? I know that they're putting bigger, they're putting taller players, they're putting more rangy players in the secondary with speed. How will they adapt this year when they come up against a team like an Iowa State who is going to test the limits vertically of this this secondary and how well that they can cover ground, especially with their size by throwing those 50-50 balls? Will Oklahoma win those battles or will they once again lose them? And we see, I I, want to say body language Change, but really, it just came down to poor tackling after that catch was made.
1: Mm -hmm. I think Iowa State. The one thing I look at them, and I think defensively, how much they've lost, and are they going to be especially up front on the defensive line, and that that front seven in general, are they going to be as good as what they've been in the past? That kind of gives me a little bit of pause uh, on on just thinking iowa state's going to be on the same level that they were in 2020 now they could be they could reload those positions and we know especially in 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 ames iowa linebackers they eat something different than other parts of the big 12 because they seem to have a very solid uh or at least a pair of very solid linebackers year in and year out to me though i'm looking more at west virginia saturday september 25th it's the first conference game of the season west virginia is a bit of a they're hard to read. They could be a top half of the Big 12. They could be bottom half of the Big 12. I don't know. I don't know how good or how bad or how mediocre this West Virginia team is going to be. And so that's the game that has me right now, looking at the home slate, most concerned there, West Virginia, because right after that, you're going October 2nd to Mm -hmm. Manhattan, Kansas to play Kansas state. And we all know, we all know what, what that's been the last two years. So that leads me to this back half of the question is, Oklahoma road games at Tulane, at Kansas State, at Kansas, at Baylor, and at Oklahoma State. Which game has you most concerned, and why is it not October 23rd at Kansas?
0: I'm not going to answer the second half of your question, (laughs) but I think that you and I can both agree, Matt, October 2nd, in the Little Apple against Kansas state is the one, the one game that a lot of people have circled and it doesn't really seem to matter what the discrepancy is in the talent level, in that talent pool between these two teams, Kansas state always puts on a show when they play Oklahoma. Now I get that. That's not an every year thing, but more often than not has been the last two years, right? Kansas state puts up a fight and proves uh, worth as a worthy opponent to what many people consider to be the front runner in the conference this season before the ball has ever been snapped. Granted, I will say this, Kansas State's not the second game of the season. It's not the first conference game that Oklahoma will play this year. So they should have a little more chemistry. They should have mental capacity for speed of the game at the collegiate level, especially with some of these younger individuals, but they're also not facing a similar situation that they had with the suspensions heading into this season. So there's a lot going in favor For Oklahoma, it's not as big of a concern as it would have been last year. But the truth is, is it still a concern and it's still one on the schedule that I'm circling, putting a red star next to whatever needs to be done to make sure that we're locked in and we're focused from start to finish, from kickoff to the final whistle.
1: No, I'm I'm with you. I'm going to say Kansas State for the exact same reason. And then I'm going to add to that, you know, everything you just said about 2020. Absolutely true. But let's also not forget. Forgot. Let's not forget. Twenty nineteen, Jalen Hurts and company lost in Manhattan, having played, you know, the first one third of the season, having had a full offseason and a full summer, where the, all the all the kind of quote excuses that we're throwing out for twenty twenty, those don't apply to twenty nineteen. Uh, Manhattan, Kansas, is a dangerous place to go. The runner up, though, has to be November twenty seventh, the Bedlam game, and the reason why is, you know, Oklahoma State, the little brother syndrome every year. Uh, that gives Oklahoma state just a little more a boost going into that bedlam game. But the fact that there's such animosity because the Sooners are making that jump to the sec and Oklahoma state feels they were wrong. And they were slighted uh, in, in that, um, you know, that, that adds to the drama and probably adds to the motivation for Oklahoma state, but I'm sticking to my guns that October 2nd at Kansas state, the, the schedule, uh, the, 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 the away game on the schedule that I, I am most concerned about. Okay, Rich, bold prediction, t- prediction time, less than three weeks from the season starting. Oklahoma, 12 games on the schedule, not counting the conference championship. What is their record going in to the first week of December and the conference championship game?
0: I'm going to say it. I'm hoping that I don't jinx it. Oh, no. Here it comes. I do I do believe that Oklahoma will come in to December come into the conference championship game without a loss yeah. on their record. Um this is an extremely talented team as we've mentioned on both sides of the ball. More importantly, this is a team that I believe is well coached and is buying in. To what they're being sold as a player schematically and when those things start to collide on the field you see a lot of success when you pare down what your responsibilities are it becomes an easier game for you and that's exactly what I think has happened across the board sure the offense may be complex, but what you've got going on as an individual player is just one small piece to the puzzle. And as long as you're acting on that, the rest of the squad will be successful. So they've bought in there's trust amongst the players. There's trust with the players to the coaches. There's no animosity. Oklahoma seems to be handling everything right, which I think is breeding this level of success for them that we're seeing and will continue to build momentum, not just in 2021, Matt, but we're already seeing that for 2023 through the recruiting chain. Mm -hmm.
1: I, I hate to agree with you on this, but I, I'm I'm in lockstep. I mean, there there's the usual cast of you know suspects here that you, you look at. Uh, we talked about Kansas State, Texas in the Cotton Bowl is always a toss up. Bedlam uh, can get dicey, you know, every other year it seems like. But if there was a team that was built to go undefeated, then this is that team. And I think I, I think you know it's put up or shut up time for Lincoln Riley and this offensive juggernaut he's got. And when you talk about Alex Grinch and the way this defense has been building, this is, this has to be the year because you're losing Spencer Rattler after this season and you're starting over with Caleb Williams. Will this team be good in 2022? Yes. Will they be as good as what they are right now going into the 2021 season? No. So this is the time to do it. And I think they understand an undefeated record, doesn't just get them in the playoff an undefeated record gets them a top two seed in the playoff meaning that they have a better chance at advancing to the college championship game and that's ultimately the goal here interesting note here on the uh on the schedule according to vivid seats oklahoma's highest ticketed game this season you want to guess what it is i mean it's pretty easy to guess you
0: mean home game or just, no, no, game just in uh, of, the,
1: of the 12 games, the highest ticketed game right now is what? The
0: Red River Rivalry.
1: Yeah, $436 on average according to Vivid Seats. The second highest average is the Bedlam game at $223. And yet Oklahoma State feels like they could move on just nicely without Oklahoma. Just an interesting thought. i would be willing to bet. You know what? I'm going to look at it real fast because I have access to that. I'm willing to bet. That's the highest... Ticket costs for a game involving the Oklahoma State Cowboys this year. Give me just two shakes and I will let you know. By far. Okay, so check this out. According to Vivid Seats, Bedlam $223 a ticket. The next, and it's because it's homecoming, the next closest value of a ticket, the highest cost, the number two is October 30th against Kansas at $82. And again, that's because it's homecoming. So you go from $82 being your highest cost ticket to 223 for the Bedlam game. And these guys think that they'll be okay uh, without playing Bedlam year in and year out. That's just cuckoo talk. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us. Student Nation podcast. We'll be, we'll be back again next week in the same studio for the first time in a long time. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear back from you. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.